Now, there's Bibles around you. If you would, grab one and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a, a passage today, and it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Uh, you're going to find that on page 958, and so we're in the New Testament. So we're about, I don't know, maybe three-quarters of the way through, maybe uh, four-fifths of the way through. But 958 is going to be our passage. It's going to be down at the right. Uh, uh, the, there's two columns, right, right column near the end, uh, end of the page. It's going to be our passage. Now, the context is that Paul is writing to this church, and the Corinthian church sent a delegation to Paul with a bunch of questions and they wanted him to weigh in on these questions and so the book of first corinthians is just one answer right after the other and in chapter 11 he's dealing with aspects of worship and what it's like inside of their community specifically in this passage with the lord's supper or and with communion so that's going to be our passage and we're going to look just at a portion of it 23 through 26 it says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Again, O oh God, what we hope and pray is that whenever we read the scriptures, we want to be formed by them. We want you to, to use the reading and the hearing, Lord. In that whole process, we, we want that to be leveraged by your spirit so that what's created in us, what's formed and fostered and, and continued to grow is the nature of Christ. Uh, so we want to be open to this uh, today, uh, even in this moment, with our head and our heart. And we ask this now in your name. Amen. So obviously the, the topic of the passage has to deal with communion. And in a given year here at St. Paul, um, the average St. Pauler probably will take communion somewhere between 12 to about 40 times. Now, let me kind of explain that for you. The first Sunday of each month, we offer communion. And so that's 12 times a year. And then there are special services throughout the year that we also offer communion. It maybe Monday, Thursday, maybe Christmas Eve. And, and then what some of you know, and, and maybe some don't know, is that every Sunday after the 8.30 service in the chapel, so roughly around 9.30, somebody can take communion. That's like 50, or not quite 52, so it's what, uh, do the math, maybe 40 times a year. So someone can take communion every single Sunday at St. Paul. And then a few, Sunday, a few special times throughout the year. And so in a given year, the average St. Pauler takes communion a number of times. And if an outsider observed what we do here, just had no clue about the church or no clue about the, what we do and why we do it, if they just observed what was going on, they would put the taking of communion and the celebration of that at the top of the list, just by frequency alone. Every single Sunday, it's offered for people to take. And in the early church, they would have said the same thing. Now, they didn't call it communion. That's a word that is, is later sort of we use. In the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, they called it the breaking of the bread. So whenever you read in the New Testament about the breaking of the bread, it's, it's about communion. And, and it was more like if you took a worship service and you combined it with a Wednesday night supper, that's really what it was like. 
People would eat together. They would spend time together. And it was a part of who they are. It was a part of their development. It was a part of their formation. And it's linked to some degree to Passover. So if you think about the Old Testament, what Passover was for the Israelites, it was also a part of their identity. Every year, a good Israelite would celebrate Passover at a certain time because that is a part of their identity. It was a part of who they are, who they were, how they act. And the same was for the early church. Because what we know about the New Testament, and at least what we find out about the Gospels and the life of Jesus, is that Jesus reinterpreted the Passover through the lens of his death and resurrection. And so for the disciples, for the Jesus followers, and for, and, and for, the, for the church, communion, the breaking of the bread, became also a symbol of their identity. And that's still true today. And so it's a part of who we are. I'm sure you probably have heard in some form or fashion the phrase, a means of grace. And we talk about sacraments or we talk about communion. We, we, we normally give that phrase, a means of grace. And, and by that, what we mean is that it's an avenue or a method or a manner to help us un- better understand God's work. And so means of grace, they, they are those things that help us see and know in a greater way. There, there's a... Uh, Early in the church, uh, after the disciples and after the, you know, the, the New Testament was written, so you're looking at maybe 100 A.D. into about 300 or so A.D., there, there was the, the beginnings of what we call monasticism. And monasticism were, was that part of the church that became very inward-looking. Uh, people would, would retreat out of the cities, and, and, and you, you had the rise of a number of orders, monks, things like that. And uh, there's a story early on in the monastic movement about these three monks, and and they got together, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to make an impact uh, in the world around them it, with the kingdom of God. And so one of the monks said, well, the best way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to become a peacemaker. And so wherever there's strife in relationships, I want to be an aspect of, of peace. I want to take in that part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemaker. And I want to help to bring peace to those relationships. And so he gave his life to that process, looking for wherever there were relationships that were struggling. And he would, he would give himself that way. And then the, the second monk said, well, I'm going to do something different, but I definitely want to make an impact for the kingdom of God. What I want to do is I want to be an agent of help for those that are sick and so anytime there's somebody that's sick I want to I want to bring about it whether it be uh, uh, whether about be cure whether about be help or about be aid I want to be a part of that in my life all for an impact for the kingdom of God and the third month said well what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a different path I want to retreat out into a place of solitude and into a place of silence and so they all went their ways and and it wasn't long after that that the uh, peacemaker began to struggle, and he, had, he, was, he became very weary because there were some relationships, some aspects of strife he could not solve. No matter what he did, what he said, he just could not bring about the remedy of peace that he so often wanted for these relationships. And so he struggled. So he had this idea, he said, I'm going to go to my, my brethren who, who, whose job was to go and cure the sick. And so he eventually found him and wanted to inquire how he was doing. What he saw also was that this one was also struggling. Very, very uh, full, full of struggle, full of burden, and, and basically was burned out. 
And so together they said, well, let's go look at our third brother. Maybe he's faring better than all of us. And, and so they eventually found their way to, the, to their third brethren. And, and he's sitting out in, in a place of solitude and silence. And, and they begin to tell of all the things that are going on in their life. And about midway through the conversation, the third monk got up and he went and found this big big pitcher of water and there was this giant pot that was in front of them and he poured the water into the pot and he said tell me what you see and, and as all this water became thundering down into the pot it was murky and it was turbulent and 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 it was it was it was it was cloudy and they said that's what we see and then after a number of moments the third monk said now what do you see and the water became clear and became still and he said, so it is with anyone who lives in a life of turbulence and doesn't see his or her own sins. But when they're still, when they're quiet, they can recognize things. They can see things in a better way. And so a means of grace, and communion would be one of those, is like that pot of water when it's still. It helps us see. It helps us understand God's work of mercy and our need for mercy. And so that's what communion does for us. It becomes a symbol, a method of that steel pot. And if we were to unpack what this, you know, what this really means for us. How does God do that in, in communion? How, how does God help us see, or how does it help us see clearly? How does it help us understand God's work? I think we would notice a few things. The first one would be is that communion becomes a means or a method for what we would call initiation into the kingdom of God. And you saw a little bit like this in, in the Confirmation. So it's not just, I mean, so Louise has watched her entire life aspects of Jesus, have seen it through her own family, have witnessed that in your own life, I mean, it, it, you know, from your life, how that's been an influence. And so she, she comes today and she makes confessions and professions of her faith, but it's, it's, it's not just that, it's where that's leading to. It's about fully being immersed into God's kingdom where we become a follower. And so this idea, you know, and there's, there's components of that. I mean, there's, you know, being a Christian means that you embrace things that are part of the kingdom. And, and they're components. I mean, there's an operational component. And what we mean by that is that God's Spirit gives you gifts. And so the idea is that you use those gifts in ministry. Well, that's part of the kingdom. There's an ethical component. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said when he boiled it down. There's a theological component. By that would be a Trinitarian understanding of God. God. God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit, three in one. And so if the theology is the cognitive side... Where we, see, where we see and think in a certain worldview, then there's also a sacramental side. And the sacramental is, it, it, it embraces the experiential aspect of a person. What you feel. What you experience. And so it involves the senses. 
I mean, part of your human makeup is that you have senses. You, you, you see, you hear, you smell, you taste, you touch. Well, you do all of that with communion. It's how we see and understand. And it becomes a symbol of, of how God, we, we experience His grace and mercy. The way John Wesley said it is that there are two major works of God in a person. Inward, he called those uh, works of piety. Outward, he called them works of mercy. And so the way that God works inside of a person through these works of piety is how God directly through his spirit works with your heart and works with your mind. And it's to bring about a transformation, to bring about a change. Little by little, our nature becomes like the nature of Christ. And as that is changing on the inside, it, it also influences what we do on the outside, those works of mercy, service, function, behavior. And they are to be together not disconnected. And so what we do when we take communion, part of the symbolism of that is that physical thing where we use our senses to touch and to taste. And I mean, you can actually hear, I guess, you know, and, and smell, but you take it in. It's experiential. Feel it. This work of piety and this work of mercy. Inside and outside together. And communion holds them both. Not, not only that, communion, and you see this in the scripture lesson, it is designed to bring people together, to form, to foster, to, to bring the follow to bring people, Christians, followers of Christ together. I mean, that's the, the critique in the passage is what was designed to bring them together in, in, in that congregation, in, in the church in, in Corinth. It was actually a form of division. So what they would do, there were some people who would gather for this breaking of the bread and gather for the meal, and, and they would eat up all the food and drink up all the drink, and then the other people who came later, there was nothing for them to experience. Separated them economically, socially to some degree. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. This was designed to bring you together, to be together, not to be uh, to be d divided under one roof. And so this means of grace is to, to bring us together as followers of Christ. It was a symbol of connection to the community because behind that is the understanding is that it's level ground at the cross for all of us. I mean, one of the first creeds of the, of the Corinthian church is that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. It's to be to, to, together. Let, let me tell you what's not in the early church nor in the New Testament. And the truth is, we need to repent of this. The idea that we can be a Christian, a solitary Christian, and just be out here by ourselves. Cannot do that. As if we're just a solo Christian. Independent of the community. Doesn't exist in the New Testament. 
And so the idea that we think, okay, I'm a follower of Christ, but it really doesn't matter if I'm involved in, in, in the work of the church or if I'm involved with the community that around us, that's not true. We make individual commitments, vows, professions of our faith, but we do it in the life of the community of Christ. Can't separate the two. Yeah, you do have to make your own confessions. It is your own faith. But to separate that from everybody else can't justify it in the New Testament. And it doesn't exist in the early church. And so why would we think it exists today? We are called to be a part of a community that follows Christ in the world, inside and outside. Works of piety, then works of mercy. That's our role. And communion seeks to hold them both. And then the last thing is that communion is a call for discipleship. What uh, Being a disciple was not limited just to the twelve. The twelves might have been the first ones, maybe like the division heads. But the goal is for all of us to be a disciple. Formation. Identity. We are followers of Christ. And the idea is not to just be on the porch or, or maybe in the foyer, but it's to be funneled in to, to the kitchen table. Because that's where all the work really happens, right? In your house. Not on the porch, not on the foyer, but the real workings of the family. That's around the table. And I think sometimes we forget, or maybe we just don't pay attention to, this the work of the Spirit is to continually move people into discipleship for the purpose of witness in the world. So it's not just receiving, it's receiving and giving at the same time. That's what it means to be a disciple. You receive of Christ and then you give of Christ in the world. And communion seeks to hold them both. Yesterday, some of you were, were with us in our sanctuary. We, uh, it was something interesting for me. It was a wedding that took place in our church. 99% um, of the weddings that I attend, I'm officiating. So I only get one view. From, from the altar back through the congregation. Uh, I mean, I, I don't. I got to think, I don't know if I've even witnessed a wedding in my 11 years at St. Paul where I sat in the congregation. I think every wedding I've been a part of at St. Paul, I was officiating. And I was sitting there, I was watching Anna Few and Sam Stevens get married. And it, I have to tell you, that was a pretty interesting view from where I was sitting. Sitting about maybe three quarters of the way back on the lectern side. And I've, like you, we've watched Anna grow up in this church. I've known the Stevens, Matt. He and Christy, we actually lived by each other uh, for a period of time when we both served in Vienna, Georgia. And so they knew Connor and Caroline when they were two, three, four years old. And I knew uh, Sam and Russ, their children, when, when actually when, when Russ was born. 
And so I've known a little bit about their life for, for a long time. And I remember when they started dating. And then when they got engaged. And then obviously yesterday for the actual ceremony. But tell me, which, what's really the goal? Was it when they went out on their first date? Or maybe when they said, we're dating? Or maybe when they got engaged? Or, or is the goal even yesterday? No. No, they're all pivotal parts of it. But even in the marriage ceremony, it's not just that moment. That's an official moment. But what they pledged is that this is what we do daily for the rest of our life. That's the same thing when it comes to being a follower of Christ. Being a disciple. There are those official moments, right? And we need those. We need those rites of passages. But they are not the end. And they're surely not the goal. The goal is that daily life going forward. And communion holds all of that. It's a symbol of all of that. The first time, the engagement, the ceremony, and the daily living. So when you take communion today in a few moments, you are participating in a way to feel, to hold, to touch, to taste something that stands for the body, and the blood of Christ. And it is a calling for not just this moment. It is a calling for discipleship. Where you take those works of piety and those works of mercy and you take them both in and then you let them out into the world. That's what we do. And if there was an observer, didn't know anything about St. Paul, by frequency alone, they would say this is a part of who we are, a part of our identity. Oh, God, as we now move to take this, we, we, uh, we want to set aside these elements, and by that we mean we consecrate them. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, consecration was an act of the will, normally voiced in a prayer. And so, Lord, that's what we do. As an act of the will, we set aside this, this bread, this juice, this cup, as your body, your blood, a means of grace. That in this process of us moving along the way to discipleship, this is a symbol of your work of the Spirit all established by your Son, Jesus Christ, through your love. So with heart and head, we receive this. And it is with a grateful heart that we receive this bread, one loaf, one body, which is given for each and every one of us. And then at the same time, this cup, a symbol of juice for the blood of Christ, which is the remission of sins. Jesus said, as often as you eat and drink of this, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we pray this in your name. Amen.